0: So these uh, stories that we're looking at last week and this week and in the coming weeks in the middle of Mark's gospel are some of the most famous stories in all of the scriptures. If you're not a Christian or if you're not familiar with the Bible, the chances are if you grew up in a place like San Antonio, somewhere in sort of a more Bible Belt-ish sort of place, you've heard at least some of these stories before. The story that we come across this morning that Wade read for us, the story of Jesus feeding the 5,000 is undoubtedly one of the most famous stories, not just in Mark's gospel, but Really, in all of the Bible. And uh, as we've seen in the last few weeks, and as we're making our way through this gospel, and as I hope you'll see as you stick with us in the coming weeks, again and again and again, the question that Mark is calling us to wrestle with as we read this gospel and think through it together is this Who is Jesus? Who is this man, Jesus of Nazareth? And whether you're a believer or a skeptic when it comes to the scriptures and when it comes to Jesus, if we're going to read it with intellectual and emotional honesty, it's important that we really consider for ourselves what our answer to that question is. Who is Jesus? Jesus? Is he who this gospel claims that he is? Did he really do what he says he came to do? These are, these are really the fundamental questions of our spiritual lives. They're the fundamental questions in our opinion as Christians of all of reality. And we want you to wrestle with them. And we want to wrestle with them together as we go through this gospel. And so to set the stage, remember back in verse 7 through 13 of chapter 6, Mark or G- Jesus had sent out his apostles two by two to go and tell people in all the neighboring villages along the Palestinian countryside about the kingdom of God which has come, to preach the message of the kingdom, to repent of your sins and trust in Jesus, the king of the kingdom. And then we saw last week the little parenthesis section about John Baptist, John the Baptist being Uh, beheaded by Herod Antipas by King Herod and now in verse 30 we find ourselves coming back to the main narrative thread so if you look there in verse 30 we see that the apostles return to Jesus and they tell Jesus all that they had done and taught they've been on like a, a six month missionary journey some towns have rejected them they've shook the dust from their feet and moved on they've seen amazing things happen as well on the other hand they've seen demons cast out they've seen people healed they've seen people believe the message of the kingdom, and now they're coming back to Jesus to tell him what's happened and also to rest because, frankly, they are worn out. They're tired. They need a sabbatical. They need a vacation. They need a break. And so we read there in verse 31 that Jesus says, come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest a while. They're going to get a break because they're tired, as you might imagine. And so Jesus leads them to go and get replenished and to recuperate. But as we see in the story, there's no rest for the weary, because as they are on their way, the people follow them. And we learn more and more, not so much about the nature of the disciples, but about the nature of this man that the disciples are following, Jesus. Mark uses this interruption in their lives, this interruption of their vacation, this interruption of their journey to continue to tell us more about who this man is, the son of God, the Messiah, Jesus Christ. And so you can summarize the main idea here of this story like this. Jesus, Mark is telling us here that Jesus is our good shepherd. Jesus is our good shepherd who meets our needs and satisfies our longings. If you don't remember anything else, remember that. Jesus is our good shepherd who meets our needs and satisfies our longings. And I wanna show you three things about Jesus in this story. First, Jesus's compassion. Second, Jesus's power. And third, Jesus's satisfaction. That is the satisfaction he provides us. His compassion, his power, and his satisfaction, okay? So here we go. First, I wanna show you Jesus's compassion as Mark lays it out for us in this amazing story. We see that he takes the disciples to rest, But they they haven't even had time to eat. They've been coming and going. And so they go away in the boat to the other side, the northeast side of the Sea of Galilee to a desolate place. But the Sea of Galilee is a smaller sea. And so people would have been able to see their boat heading in the direction it was going. And so they ran and made their way around the coastline and met Jesus and his followers when they landed there on the shore in the middle of nowhere. And we read at the end of this story that it was 5,000 men which implies probably that there were over 10,000 people there, if you include women and children. Jesus has a mega movement, a mega church on his hands here. And they meet them when they get off the boat, and they are ready to be ministered to. They're ready to hear Jesus' teaching. They're ready to see the disciples and Jesus do more work for them. Now, imagine what the disciples must have been thinking. Just put yourself there. And imagine what they're thinking as they have been going, going, going for months on end, doing ministry, doing work, traveling without a bag, with only one change of clothes, without any money, depending on the hospitality of strangers. They're ready for a break. They're ready for a vacation. They think they've got it. And then they show up on the shore to see a massive number of people needy and waiting on them. I don't know if you're anything like me, but I would have been frustrated. I mean, imagine that you've been working hard for a number of months and you finally get a week away. You go on vacation. And let's say you go to, who knows, Cancun. You know, let's take it down a little. Port Aransas. Okay, you go to Port Aransas. That's good enough for most of us, right? You go to Rockport, not even Bora Bora. Rockport and uh, you show up you're ready to relax you're ready to hang out on the beach and you walk into your hotel room and there are six of your co-workers who sit next to you in the cubicles Monday through Friday wondering if you filled out the latest TPS reports (laughs) wondering if you've done the work that you were supposed to do your work is sitting there waiting for you again imagine how irritating that would have been The disciples, and we'll find out in a minute that this is exactly how they feel, they must have felt frustrated. They must have felt irritated. They must have been like, can we please just get some space from you needy people? But that's not what Jesus feels. It's not what Jesus does. Look at what Mark tells us. Verse 34, Jesus went ashore and he saw a great crowd. And here's his response. He had compassion, compassion on them. Now, that word compassion, man, that's a powerful word. It's a a loaded word in the original language that the New Testament was written in. It's only used eight times in the New Testament. And every single time, it's used either of Jesus directly or it's used in a parable about Jesus. And so this is a word that's reserved for Jesus himself. He's always the subject of that verb, had compassion. And it refers to, to a deep, heartfelt love. A deep, heartfelt love for someone accompanied with efforts to bring healing and mercy. In that famous parable that Jesus tells, the parable of the prodigal son, Remember when the son who's been away, who's rebelled against his father, who's been feeding in the pig trough, decide he wants to come home. He's on his way down the road, and Luke, in Luke 15, tells us that the, the father goes out and he sees his son coming towards him on the road. And Luke tells us that in that instant, in that moment, the father felt compassion. Same word. Remember in the parable of the Good Samaritan, when the first two people, the religious people, pass by on the other side of the road as the Samaritan, or excuse me, as the man lay there dying. And then the Samaritan man comes by and he looks at this man who lay there wounded and hurting and dying and He has compassion, Luke 10, same word. That's the idea that is being communicated here when Mark tells us that Jesus had compassion for these people. What Mark wants us to understand is that Jesus is not like you and me. Jesus is not like normal human leaders who are going to get tired of serving their followers. Jesus is not like normal pastors or priests or shepherds. Jesus is unique in the compassion that he displays again and again for people. Mark is saying that Jesus is the shepherd, the guide, the leader, the protector that we all need, that we all need but have never been able to find. And really, there's a rich background to this shepherd idea. Look there again. It says he had compassion on them. And then Mark tells us why. Because they were like sheep without a shepherd. That shepherd and sheep imagery is a very rich image throughout the scriptures. And the people who first heard Mark's gospel, Jewish people, would have immediately understood what Mark is getting at there. Sheep and shepherds are a reference in the Old Testament to the leaders of Israel, the religious leaders, the pastors and priests of the day, and their people, their subjects, the people that they are called to minister to. And in places like Ezekiel, especially, we read again and again that God condemns these human shepherds for their failure to show compassion, for their failure to show love, for their failure to meet the needs of the sheep. And in one very famous story, prophecy in Ezekiel chapter 34, God is calling out these bad shepherds who have kind of gotten fat and happy and just ignored the sheep. In other words, they've actually, they've, they've made themselves uh, pleasure and happy at the expense of the sheep. And God condemns them. God them, f- judges them for their selfishness. And then he makes a promise in Ezekiel 34. And here's what he says. Listen to God speaking through Ezekiel. He says, I, God, I myself will search for my sheep. And I will seek them out. As a shepherd seeks out his flock when he is among his sheep that have been scattered, so will I seek out my flock. And I will rescue them from all places where they have been scattered on a day of clouds and thick darkness. And I will bring them out from the peoples and gather them from the countries and will bring them into their own land. And I will feed them good pasture. I myself, God says, will be the shepherd of my sheep. And I myself will make them lie down. I will seek the lost. And I will bring back the strayed. And I will bind up the injured. And I will strengthen the weak. And so Jesus here is fulfilling that prophecy that is by the time he came six or 700 years old in being for us a good, compassionate, loving shepherd. First thing we see about Jesus is that Jesus is compassionate. And that's one thing for you to hear. I don't care where you're from, how much church you've been in, or how much Bible you've read. It's always important for each one of us as individuals to be reminded that God in Jesus Christ cares for you. You know that? God cares cares for you. He loves you. He feels the same sort of compassion for you that Jesus felt for all those people scattered along the hillside by the shore of the Sea of Galilee thousands of years ago. Jesus cares for you in your weakness and in your heartache. So where are you at this morning? Do you feel disheartened? Do you feel sad? Do you feel alone? Do you feel distressed? This story is trying to tell you as the Holy Spirit is at work right now that Jesus, the good shepherd, sees you and cares. Jesus cares for you in your neediness. Do you feel like you don't know where to turn for help? You don't know what to do next. Do you feel confused? Do you feel overwhelmed? Do you feel burdened? You feel like you are at your wit's end. Jesus, the good shepherd, sees you and cares. He will meet your needs. Now, sometimes it's easy to hear that from the preacher on Sunday mornings, but it's hard to believe it in the middle of the week. In fact, sometimes we're tempted to think, yeah, Jesus cares for me, but I'm not sure that he cares enough to actually do something about the difficulties or the sadness or the problems that I'm facing now. And so the story continues by showing us that Jesus isn't just compassionate. He's also powerful. And so secondly, I want to show you Jesus's power. Let's look and see what happens. He sees that they're like sheep without a shepherd. And then interestingly, the first thing he does is begin to teach or preach. Who says preaching is irrelevant? Jesus began to teach many things first thing when he he had compassion on them. And then he preaches for a long time, apparently. And it gets late. And his disciples come to him and say, and remember, the disciples are wiped. They're tired and they say, listen, we're in the middle of nowhere, Jesus. There's some villages around. Let's send these people to these villages and maybe they can find dinner in the local pub and find a good night's sleep in one of the motels. Surely there's a Motel 6 somewhere around the northeast side of Galilee. And really, that's pretty much a pretty reasonable request, it seems like, on the disciples' part. They've been ministering for a long time. They're tired. They know that there's no way they can meet the needs of this massive crowd. They're hungry. They can start to heal, hear stomachs gurgling for food. Jesus is still going and going and going. And then they're like, okay, let's, let's send these people home. But Jesus, again, as usual, has other ideas in mind from what his disciples had. He says, Actually, why don't you give them something to eat? Look there in verse 37. You give them something to eat. And now the disciples, they're just kind of sick of it, frankly. And so they go, their sarcasm meter, you know, it goes to 11 on a scale of 1 to 10 with Jesus. And they're, Oh, that's great, Jesus why don't we take our eight months of wages, which is what 200 denarii is. Let's take our eight months of wages and go buy enough bread for all of these thousands and thousands of people to have dinner with. So it seems pretty reasonable what the disciples want to do. They want to send these people home. And then Jesus makes this completely irrational request of them. You give them something to eat. Like these 12 guys, these guys can't even, they can barely find their way to the northeast side of the Sea of Galilee. But now Jesus is saying, give these thousands and thousands of people something to eat. He's making really an absolutely irrational demand and he's doing it. This is what you got to get. He's doing it on purpose. Here's why Jesus says, you give them something to eat. Jesus wants these disciples to feel their own inability so that They can trust in his power. Jesus is underlining their inability so that he can meet the need himself. Of course, Jesus here is asking these disciples to do the impossible. He's saying, really, until you see that what I am asking you is impossible, you are absolutely unqualified to follow me. You see that? He's saying, until you see that what I'm asking you is impossible, you are unqualified to follow me. The problem of the crowd's hunger is not going to be solved by some intuitive work on the part of the disciples. It's only going to be solved by a sovereign demonstration of Jesus's divine power. And if you look at the story again, that's seen even in the way that Jesus actually does the miracle. Think about this. There would have been, I mean, if you're a marketing guy, you can market Jesus as a miracle worker in a much better way than Mark does here. I mean, Jesus could have gone like, albus dumbledore hogwarts style and just poof magically made a feast appear out of nowhere he could have flown in you know just flying through the sky boom 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 and there's cupcakes and there's all sorts of food appearing all over the place jesus could have done that but that's not what jesus does he actually uses the food that was already available insufficient though it was And the reason Jesus does that is, again, even in the actual miracle itself, to show that he's going to take the completely inadequate resources of his disciples and do something miraculous with them. So he takes five loaves of bread, probably not much more than we have here for communion, and two fish and he performs this miracle of multiplication that's really astronomical in its scale and then notice he distributes the bread through his disciples only as the disciples take the bread to the people is the food multiplied now stop and think with me this is a wonderful this is a wonderful message it's amazing listen our power is in recognizing our limits and resting in Jesus's power. When we are weak, as the scriptures say elsewhere, then we are strong. Jesus loves to work miraculously and graciously in impossible situations. That's the point here, you see. Jesus loves to create beauty out of broken things. He loves to bring abundance where there is poverty. He loves to work with what seems like a little, with what seems and is inadequate, and to multiply it into something magnificent. That's what he does here. One commentator, I want to read you this, he just nails it. That's what, by the way, God is also doing in your life. Listen to this script. Uh, this quote. It is not God's intention that we should be in ourselves adequate to our tasks. Rather, he wants that we should be inadequate. If we only accept the tasks which we think are adapted to our powers, we are not responding to the call of God. The church is always in a crisis and always will be. Difficulties, limitation, lack of people and money, a menacing outlook. We are not only required to do our work in spite of these things, they are precisely the prerequisite for doing it. You see what he's saying there? Only the inadequate are adequate. Only those who know their need and know their want and know their inadequacy are able to truly follow Jesus. And so let me ask you this. You ever feel inadequate? You ever feel needy? You ever feel like you're in over your head? So I don't know. I don't know how to handle this parenting situation. I feel that every day, by the way. I feel that right now, like as I'm talking, I just thought of four things that I don't know how to handle. I don't know how to handle the strain in my marriage that seems to sort of be bubbling under the surface. I don't know how to deal with this difficult relationship in school that I have to face tomorrow on Monday that makes my stomach hurt when I think about it. I don't know how to handle the difficult conversation I have to have with my extended family who continues to cross the boundaries that I've set. I don't know how to discern God's will in this situation. I don't know how to share the gospel with my friend. I don't know how to deal with the shame and the guilt of my past. I feel completely inadequate to do all of these things. Listen, when you find yourself in that situation, here's the key. You are not outside of God's will. When you find yourself feeling inadequate and needy, you have not somehow wandered away from the path of discipleship. No, when you find yourself feeling inadequate and needy, you know that you have met one essential prerequisite to your discipleship. Let that encourage you. Jesus wants you to feel like the disciples felt when he said, you give them something to eat. He wants you to feel, in some ways, completely overwhelmed, completely outmatched. He wants you to feel the depth of your need because it's only people that feel the depth of their need that turn to someone other than themselves for help. And it's only when you turn to Jesus as he freely offers himself to you in the gospel for help that you experience the transformation and the power and the grace and the renewal that he freely brings you. Jesus shows his compassion and here in this miracle, Jesus shows his power, his power for people to feel in over their heads. And then the last thing we see is that Jesus satisfies third Jesus's satisfaction. Jesus shows his compassion. He shows his power. But then the story continues. We see the people sit down in groups by hundreds and by fifties. Verse 41, he says the blessing, breaks the bread, gives the fish, divided the two fish among them all. And verse 42 is the key. They all ate and what? They were satisfied. 5,000 plus people. 5,000 ancient Jewish men there could have been 15,000 people there total for all we know Jesus didn't just provide for their basic needs Jesus filled them up so much that there are 12 baskets full of broken pieces of bread and broken fish left over after they have all eaten as much as they possibly can Here's the point. Jesus doesn't just provide for your needs, although he certainly does that. Jesus, as the good shepherd, satisfies your deepest longings as well. He doesn't just meet your needs. He satisfies your desires. He offers more than we can ever ask for or imagine that we want in himself. What he gives us as the good shepherd is far better than anything else we could ever receive. You know, if you read this story carefully and if you know the scriptures a little bit, you'll see that there are pretty clear allusions in this story to probably the most famous chapter in the Bible, which is Psalm 23. Jesus is the shepherd. And in Psalm 23, we read, the Lord is my what? The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. Not I shall not be in need. I shall not want. Implication, I will be fully satisfied. He makes me lie down in green pastures, just like the people in this story lie down along the green grass. He leads me beside still waters, just as these people are led along the shores of the Sea of Galilee. He calms my soul. He meets all of my needs. Even when I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, his rod and his staff, they comfort. They comfort me. Jesus is not just the shepherd we need. Jesus is the shepherd that we want. He's the shepherd that will satisfy. And as we wrap up, listen to this. The way Jesus satisfies us, the way Jesus satisfies you and me, The way he doesn't just meet our needs but gives us more than we can ever ask for isn't just by giving us more and more sort of physical, tangible blessings. He doesn't just give us more and more stuff so that when we wake up in life with Jesus every day is like Christmas and we've got like eight new presents there. No, Jesus doesn't just give us more stuff to make us happy, to satisfy us. To satisfy us, Jesus the shepherd actually gives us himself. That's why John tells us in John 6 that when Jesus performed this miracle, he said, I am the bread I am the bread of life. And we see a hint of it even here in verse 41, when he looks up to heaven and says a blessing and breaks the loaves of bread and gave them to the disciples to set. The verb break and the verb bless. Those are the exact verbs used in the Lord's Supper, which we're going to celebrate in just a minute. And Mark there is providing a hint for us. He's saying that in Jesus blessing and breaking the bread and blessing and breaking the fish, he is pointing forward to the moment when he himself as the shepherd will become the sacrificial sheep. He himself will say a blessing. Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. And then he himself will be broken on the cross as the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. You see, in Jesus... Meeting the physical needs of those 5,000 people that day with five loaves of bread and two fish. In Jesus performing that miracle, he is actually pointing us forward to the greater moment. When he will not just meet our needs for forgiveness and renewal and reconciliation with God. But will actually satisfy all of our deepest longings. Because in his death, in his body being broken, he is proving that he isn't just a good shepherd who takes care of you. He is a good shepherd that fulfills your heart's deepest desires. Theologians have said for centuries that in all of our hearts, there is a God-shaped hole. And we spend our lives trying to fill it with things that will never satisfy. The only thing that will ever fill the hole in our hearts, the deep longing that we all have, is Jesus himself. The atheist philosopher Jean-Paul Sartre himself said, I don't believe in God, but I'm hungry for what only God can give. I don't believe in God, but I'm hungry for what only God can give. So I guess the last question that the Holy Spirit is asking you through this story is this. What is it that you are longing for? What are you hungry for? Acceptance? Friendship and community? A new start in life? final breaking with past failures and frustration, purpose, joy, peace, contentment. Jesus here is beckoning you to come under his leadership as your good shepherd. He is saying that coming under his guiding hand allows you to receive not just all that you need, but all that you want because Jesus hasn't just given you things, he's given you himself in his death and in his eternal and blessed resurrection life, through connecting with your good shepherd who died for your sin to be pardoned and who was raised for your life to be made new, through connecting to him by faith, you receive not just what you need, but all that you could ever want, more than you could ever want. The priest, great, the late priest, Andre Nauen, who worked with um, mentally handicapped people for many decades in a facility called larch writes in one of his books called the life of beloved about uh, a mentally handicapped woman named janet who came to him one day before their daily prayer meeting and sharing time who came to him one day and and asked for a blessing she said father i need to be blessed and Henri Nouwen just kind of did his normal little thing and blessed her really quickly in the name of jesus and she said "No, no 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 i don't need that kind of blessing i need a real blessing and no one, Nowen stopped for a moment and said, okay, I'll, I'll bless you during our prayer time today. And so a few minutes later when prayer time came, Nowen told the other people there that Janet had asked for a blessing and that he was going to pray for her. And as soon as he said that, Nowen says that she immediately and unexpectedly got up and the beauty that only mentally handicapped people can possess or children can, can possess with innocence and, and fervor got up and walked right over to him and gave him this huge hug. She embraced him closely and fully so much so that she was sort of falling into his, his priestly robes and covered up by him. And as he hugged her and wrapped his arms around her, now prayed this prayer, Janet, I want you to know that you are God's beloved daughter. You are precious in God's eyes. I know you feel a little low these days and that there is some sadness in your heart, but I want you to remember who you are, a person deeply loved by God. A person deeply loved by God. That is what Jesus offers each one of us in himself. The warmth and acceptance of his full embrace as he says to you, you are, Through faith in me, a person deeply accepted, adored, and loved by God, your Father. There's nothing else that will ever satisfy. That's the kind of king our shepherd is. Nothing else will ever meet the God-shaped hole that resides in all of our hearts. So will you come to the shepherd, come to Jesus as he shows you compassion, as he displays his power, and as he welcomes you? as he welcomes you with full satisfaction, grace, and blessedness. Come to him now. Let's pray. Father, we ask that you would show us again your mercy and that you would help us to remember as we hear this story from the scriptures, help us to remember, God, that these things are true of your character, that if we want to understand who you are, we should only look to Jesus and hear Jesus proves to us how compassionate and loving and rich your grace is. And so we ask that you would help us to rest in that and trust in that, God. God, no matter what we struggled with this week or this this morning even, we pray that you would help us to follow the lead of our shepherd who loves us and guides us and cares for us. And we ask these things in his name.